Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. How to build your medical device quality management system. Where do you start? Well, it can be a daunting task. And it can be one that a lot of people will say, you know, I'm going to put this off to later. I don't advise that. I don't think it's a good move. I think there's some simple things that you can do from the beginning of your medical device journey that will put you in good shape for your quality management system. Think about it this way. A QMS is uh, about setting up your business and your processes. It's also about having the right mindset and the philosophy around building a culture of quality. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, quality management system, if you know anything about Greenlight Guru, you know that we're all about medical device quality management system and, you know, what is it and those sorts of things. We'll get into some of that today, but there's some stories that are pretty fresh. I'll just read a couple of the headlines and I'll leave the, the company names out for the moment, but warning or FDA draws or issues warning for quality failures, IVD manufacturer written up for validation failures, FDA finds company software wasn't validated, breast implant maker lands in hot water with FDA and so on and so forth. And these are all, you know, May, June timeframe. So these are fresh stories. So it's clear that, that um, something is not connecting. And I, I don't, I don't know what that is, but hopefully today uh, my guest and I can get through some of these things and figure out maybe a path through the woods, so to speak. So joining me, a usual voice, familiar voice on the Global Medical Device Podcast is Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. So Mike, welcome. Thanks, John. So, you know, like we, you and I often do on these, maybe a good place to start is what is a quality management system? So I have some thoughts and ideas, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts and ideas are with what a quality management system is. Well, John, first of all, once again, thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion with you uh, and our audience on what is, uh, I think, a very important topic because in spite of the fact that we have tons and tons of regulation and guidance, there are so many resources that you and I have put out as well as other people have put out with regard to quality management systems in the form of podcasts and webinars and articles. And yet, in spite of all of this, or perhaps because of all of this, companies and the people in them continue to do some of the stupidest things. I can't, uh, I can't put it any more slightly than that. Yeah. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to give you my definition of a, of a quality management system, John, but I'm going to turn the tables on you if you don't mind, because <laughs> obviously you and your company, Greenlight, you know, this is your bread and butter. So how would you define what a quality management system is? Well, sometimes when I'm asked these sorts of questions, I start with what it's not, and then I'll, I'll get to what I believe it should be. It's not a system of compliance, um, and, I, and I think this is where the, the industry still needs to open up their minds and, and to be willing to think about this in a different way. I think for as long as I can remember my career, a lot of people look at a QMS as, as a, a thing we have to do to comply with the regulations. And you know, don't mishear me. There is an element where compliance is important, but if that's why you're doing it, then you're missing the mark. And I, I think this is 
part of the challenge. What a quality management system should be is, in my opinion, uh, a way to describe how you conduct business. You know, your policies, your procedures, you know, how you do things within your company, period. What do you think? I think, John, that's a terrific start. As a matter of fact, I was going to say almost something exactly the same. First of all, I could not agree with you more, and you and I have talked about this in the past from time to time, that it's absolutely not a, to use your phrase, a system of compliance or to use one of my phrases, you know, ticking boxes on a form. Anybody that approaches a quality management system in that regard, in my opinion, and this might sound harsh to some people, John, but they should not be in this business because that's not what this is about. Instead, the way I kind of think about this, it's a, it's a philosophy of doing business. It's uh, it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of you know how you develop your product. What do you do once your product is on the market in terms of keeping an eye on it, like post-market surveillance, like complaint handling, like corrective actions and preventative actions. So it's not just uh, you know ticking boxes on a form. Um, it's, it, it's much more than that. So I think you and I are singing exactly the same song, John, just maybe in a very slightly different key. But the challenge for us is how do we get our colleagues in this industry to get past that ticking boxes on a form or a system of compliance? You know, what's the minimum that I have to do to make sure that I have a compliant system? What forms do I need in place? You and I both know, and we can talk about this later, that there are people that sell forms on the internet, you know, for X number of dollars. They will sell you the forms to, you know, to make your your quality management system. But in my opinion, John, and maybe you might disagree, I don't know, but that defeats the whole purpose of having a quality management system. What do you think? Well, I, I, and there's two words that you said that, that I really, really like, mindset, philosophy, you know, and I, I think those are important things for those listening to really embrace. I mean, if you have a mindset that I'm doing this for compliance, then buy those cheap forms, check the boxes. And uh, as you might have heard me say a little tongue in cheek uh, before, let me know if that's your philosophy so that I can alert everyone that I love and care about, about your company, because that's (laughs) you got the wrong mindset and the wrong philosophy, but it should be about this. I mean, that mindset and that philosophy, you know, if it's, if quality of our products and processes aren't, and I guess even above that, the patients who are going to receive these products is not the center of our universe or our North star, our, our guiding force, then maybe we're in the wrong industry. So, you know, for what that's worth. And I get a lot of times people are lured or there's an appeal to these inexpensive templates. I get that because those inexpensive, because if I've never built a quality management system before and, you know, maybe I'm an inventor or an engineer and I don't know, I don't understand these things called regulations. Those templates are appealing to me because I don't have to start with a blank sheet of paper and, the implication is, oh, well, this will help make sure that I'm compliant. But if you just take those templates, you know, you spend the few thousand dollars or whatever it is, and and you just drop them in and change a logo, and you don't embrace what's in there, and you don't tailor those to meet how you do business, then you miss the mark, period. John, may I give you a quick example? For sure. Uh, I think that illustrates what you just described. So I spend some of my time, I don't market myself as a 
quality auditor, but I do spend some of my time going into companies and kicking the tires, as I like to call it, of their quality management system, giving them recommendations on what to add or what to change, where I think the, the holes, the gaps are, and so on. So so in one recent visit, this was a few months ago before you know COVID, when we were still allowed to travel, I was in a company taking a look at their QMS, and I happened to see examples of devices that were in their QMS that that particular company did not, in fact, even manufacture. Now, if that's not the quintessential example of copying and pasting from these pre-printed forms or some other places, and by the way, it's also an example of a company that has a QMS where it's painfully obvious to me that the people working in the company don't even know what's in their own QMS. So I think you would agree, John, that what's the point of having a quality management system if it's sitting in a three-ring binder on somebody's shelf or just simply residing in a computer when people are not familiar with it and literally living by it every single day? Maybe we should... We, we should think of, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the it's a philosophy of doing business and you said something very similar. Maybe we should kind of think about it, and I don't mean to be too, you know, theological here, but maybe we should kind of think about it like the Bible. You know, this is a set of instructions, if you will, a set of rules, whatever you want to call it, that we're supposed to be very familiar with, that we're supposed to be living by every single day. But, you know, with the very recent examples that you cited uh, at the beginning, and I can give lots more for whatever reason. Reasons, some companies, clearly not all of them, but some companies just don't do this. So why do you think beyond just the regulatory reasons or the quality reasons, what, John, why do you think having a quality management system is important? Well, I think it's important. I think there's you know a lot of points of view where this quality management system is important. You know, I talked about you know, ultimately it's about that patient, you know, but coming down a little bit closer to, you know, I guess to home, so to speak, you know, within a company, a quality management system is, you know, sort of, I guess, rules of engagement or how we as an organization interact with one another, you know, defines the different roles and responsibilities, you know, handoffs, knowledge transfers, and that sort of thing. I, I think it's, you look at a quality management system as a, a method to describe how you communicate and interact with one another as a business. I think that's really important. And, you know, making sure, you know, we're doing the right things at the right time and documenting the proper information, because ultimately what we're trying to, to I'll say demonstrate, but not necessarily from a compliance perspective, but to ourselves is that the products that we're making good decisions about the, our products and that those products that we're designing, developing, manufacturing, selling, et cetera, that they're as safe and effective as they can possibly be. And that we're gathering data and information throughout the entire total product life cycle to make sure that that's the case and always the case. So to me, hopefully there's a couple of nuggets there that can wrap your head around with why I think it's important. I think there's all great reason, John, but let me just add a couple more to your list. I've kind of summarized it into four words. The first two words are accountability and traceability. Yeah. So uh, uh, accountability and traceability in the context of the QMS system to me means not just having these procedures in place, but actually following them. And I'll give you a quick example. 
So as I've mentioned in some of our discussions before, you know, a growing part of my business is working as an expert witness in medical device product liability cases. So if I can show, for example, that a company has a particular section in their quality management system, whatever it is, complaints, post-market surveillance, training, I don't care, whatever it is, but they're not following what's in their own QMS, then, you know, it doesn't take a JD from Harvard Law after your name to appreciate ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Or alternatively, if I can show that the company doesn't have a particular key section in their QMS, like they don't have a section on complaints or CAPAs or what I find very common, John, is criteria in there when a complaint becomes a CAPA or so on. Once again, it doesn't take a JD from Harvard Law to appreciate ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. So accountability and traceability are two of my four words. The second two of my four words of why a QMS is important is consistency and continuity. In other words, we want to make sure that not only our procedures are being followed, but our procedures are being followed in a consistent way. In other words, what we're doing today is the same as what we're doing tomorrow and next month and next year and so on. If we have multiple employees or maybe multiple facilities where we're manufacturing or developing medical devices, we want to make sure that we're following our QMS, our our procedures and protocols and so on consistently and also continuity you know people do move you know if somebody leaves our company and and moves to another company or god forbid somebody you know walks out the door and gets hit by a bus and somebody comes in and tomorrow and starts to take over we want to make sure that that new person is doing the same things as the previous the person before them so accountability and traceability as well as consistency and continuity that's why i think uh, those are some of the reasons why i think that a qms is so important yeah, those are excellent points, and and that uh, accountability is is really key. I mean, and, and you know, I I haven't been in a, a courtroom where you're on the stand as an expert witness, but I'll just say I know you well enough that I would want you on my team. <laughs> um, uh, Thank you, John. Uh, no, for sure. But but I think you know this is one of those things that. I think is really important. And, and and I think sometimes people get a little caught up into documentation and that sort of things. And, and we won't dive into all the, the nuances and the slippery slope, but it is important that that accountability is, um, I, I guess, there's a document or documentation to, to confirm that accountability and traceability. That's really, really key. And, and I think sometimes people are like, well, I made this decision on such and such. Like some of those those uh, headlines that I was mentioning uh, on the intro, I'm sure if you ask some of those companies, they may even say, oh, well, we did this, this, and this. And it's like, yeah, but did you document it and did you and report that and, and that sort of thing? And that might be where the disconnect is. So I, I know those are some challenges for folks. Well, there was one example, as a matter of fact, just literally a few days before making this podcast of a warning letter for a, uh, a company making implants, where the uh, one of the things FDA cited was exactly what you just said, failure to document complaint investigations. And let me remind uh, you that this is not for a Band-Aid. This is for a permanent implant. To me, that's just inexcusable. Some other yeah. 
things that, you know, FDA cited were, uh, quote, lax record keeping in another particular warning letter that was issued just a couple of days ago. This particular one was for uh, an in vitro diagnostic. And along with it, uh, FDA had problems with their acceptance criteria, with their the c- component specifications, with their process procedures. I mean, to me, John, it's, it's, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this topic today. It's very unfortunate that, you know, we have all of this, these, these things in place. But to me, there's just, I, I don't mean to be, you know, overly harsh here, and I don't mean to overly stereotype because we are not talking about our entire industry. Let me be crystal clear. There are some people in our industry who, quite frankly, do know what the heck they're doing, and they do they are doing you know all the things that they should. But regrettably, there are those that don't. And uh, you know, as I like to joke, John, you know, this to me is all common sense. This is all stuff that we used to teach in engineering school. <laughs> Although I'm not sure that yeah. we do anymore. And you know, some of your audience knows that I teach in academia part-time, including I teach at, you know, one Ivy League institution and a second, you know, near Ivy League institution in their graduate department of biomedical engineering in one case and in their graduate department of regulatory science in another. And, you know, regrettably, this is not stuff that um, we seem to teach anymore. So let's get a little bit more pragmatic, John, if you don't mind. So we've talked a bit about what a QMS is and why it's important. Another question that I just got from one of my customers recently is, and I'm going to be honest with you, John, they, this is a very small startup company. They don't have the resources to use one of the, you know, very, uh, w- one of the uh, tools like Greenlight offers, at least not right now. They hope as they grow to, to be able to do that. So what they want to do is they want to, like we all used to do back in the day, is start to put together a quality management system, or at least the beginnings of it, manually with paper documentation and, and, and so on. And they asked me, you know, so what are the some of the most major sections to start with? And I put together for them a list of what I thought was the uh, the major sections. And I'll just tick them off real quick. And then you tell me if, if, if I'm missing anything. And then, you know, we can talk about uh, any of the, the, the components that going into them. So first of all, the preamble, which by the way, is not required, but it's always something that I like to see in a company because a, a quality management system is not supposed to be a cookie cutter. Your, your QMS should not be a carbon copy quote unquote, of another company's QMS. The preamble is an opportunity to explain how you're going to implement the philosophy of quality regulation into your particular company QMS based on your kinds of devices and technologies and business practices and so on. So that all goes into the preamble. And if I can Um, can interject right there, yeah. I mean, I think this is an opportunity, you know, a, a term that people may be more familiar with. This this might be a great opportunity to put that sort of information in something like a quality manual. You know, to me, like the, a, a quality manual is a great opportunity to be that preamble, as Mike described it. You know, quality manual is, is should be a document that describes your mindset, your philosophy with respect to quality management systems. So, that would be, a, a, you know, if you needed to put a quote title on your document, <laughs> capturing this preamble information, I would suggest capturing that within a quality manual. I think that's a great idea, John. And look, I don't want to argue semantics here because, you know, Shakespeare said a rose by the name still smells as sweet. So whether we call it a preamble or a quality manual, I could care less as long as you have that information. And by the way, you know, another thing that I usually put into that quality manual or the preamble is uh, a list of terms and definitions. 
for how we are going to define, you know, certain things because yeah. the way one company might define something might be different than somebody else. The only reason, and this is a very, very minor point, John, but the only reason why I tend not to use the uh, the phrase quality manual, I know that, you know, many people do, is because at least in my experience, a lot of people who are not that familiar with uh, quality or regulatory, like your typical R&D engineer or your manufacturing engineer or something like that, they might kind of assume that the quality manual is synonymous with your quality management system. And therefore, they read the quality manual and there's nothing else to, you know, to, to, to do. Do you know what I mean? So to, to me, I kind of like the, the term preamble better because it sort of it, it, it reemphasizes that this is just the introduction. This is sort of the overview, but it's certainly not the the entire book, so to speak. But again, very minor point. Totally agree. Yeah. So, so other sections that I think are important, and I know John, this is you know right up your street. So, you know, please feel free to agree or disagree or add or change. But some of the other important sections to start with are your complaint handling system, your CAPA system, and by the way. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, having defined criteria between the two is an area where I see a lot of companies either are very weak or uh, totally omit. Um, in other words, having criteria that will determine when a complaint or a series of complaints becomes a kappa, change management, something that near can and dear. Take, can I take my one heart? back? Can I take one yeah, yeah, please, step please, backwards before diving into change management? I, I would even broaden that universe just a little bit beyond just complaint handling. Uh, I would look at it more as a, a means to to gather customer feedback, of which a complaint is a specific type. But I totally agree with you that a lot of times the companies that they, they haven't defined. Okay, when does this this issue, this feedback, this complaint, when does it, when should it trigger a kappa? I think it really is in a company's best interest to, to define those conditions, you know, and, and evaluate those. But yeah, I just wanted to add, I think it's important to look at the bigger picture, all customer feedback, not just the complaint scenarios. I think, John, that's an excellent point. And I apologize for, for my sort of oversimplification here, because you're right. I think broadening it out to customer feedback, not just negative, but positive as well, uh, is obviously a, a good thing. However, uh, that reminds me of another fairly recent story. One of the small companies that I work with, uh, they got pinged on a manufacturing inspection because FDA said that they did not um, investigate all of their complaints, including you know some of the positive stuff, equally. And I said to FDA, that's nuts. I said, it, it doesn't make sense to investigate every complaint to the same level, right. to the same degree. If it's a little cosmetic defect, like there's a, a scratch or a nick in the paint of the, the housing of device. Okay, technically that's a complaint. But right. With all due respect, you know, who cares? You know what I mean? Right. It's not going to impact safety, efficacy, performance. And here's the problem that I have with that, John, is if we hold the bar to that level, I guarantee that a lot of companies, especially the smaller ones that you and I work with, they're not going to afford to stay in business. So we have to we have to have a system, and this is something else that I encourage companies to put in their QMSs to triage these complaints to figure out which are the ones that are most important and worthy of investigation, and where and which of them you know we document that we got the complaint, that the feedback, you know we we say okay we're going to have better inspection procedures to make sure that the the housing of the device is you know painted properly or something like that. But beyond that, who cares? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, tr- uh, totally. I don't mean to be old. Totally. I don't need to be overly flippant, but it's just like, you know, coming from a medical background, you know, the concept of, of treating, of triaging patients when they come into the emergency room. Obviously, a person that's having a heart attack is going to be treated, we hope, sooner than somebody that has a splinter in their finger. Right. So the logic is, 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 is exactly the same here. Would you agree, John? A hundred percent. Okay. So complaint handling, CAPA, those are important sections. The next important section, and by the way, these are in no particular order, uh, change management. You, have, uh, you and I have talked about this topic before, John. I'll just remind my audience that one of the most common reasons why companies get warning letters and 483s for the, from the FDA is because of change management or the lack thereof. So that's a part of the QMS that needs to be prioritized. Now, I'll be honest with you, though. If you have a company that doesn't have a clearance or approval, doesn't have a product on the market yet, maybe the company can get away with putting the change management on the back burner because they don't have a device on the market yet. So how can they change it? On the other hand, if they do have the resources, I do encourage them to start building out the change management system because it's a wonderful opportunity while the product is still on R&D. And I would love to hear if you've had any experience doing this, John, but this is something that I do. While the product is still under development in R&D, use that as an opportunity to beta test your change management system. In other words, obviously, when the device is still under development, you're going through a series of iterative changes. You know, that's the nature of device development. So I encourage the company, if they want, this is, you know, this is a little more advanced topic of discussion, I think, but use that to help beta test their change management system so that when they do get the product on the market, they're going to be that much more confident that their change management system really, really works, especially for their particular device. What do you think of that idea, John? Yeah, I think that could work. I mean, and because, you know, I think every design and development project I've ever worked on, and let's just say off top of mind, I can't think of a single exception. There are numerous changes that happen throughout the entire design and development process. So, and also in my 22 years of experience, even post-market, there are going to be significant changes. So, yeah, it's a good way to pilot your your change management program and make sure that that's robust and thorough. I, I think this this idea of total product lifecycle and, and managing the details of the total product lifecycle are something that we can certainly improve upon as an industry. And, and I think that all starts with change management. Couldn't agree more. So continuing on, just a few other what I think are key sections. And then I, again, I would love to hear you know what you think should be added or, or deleted. Obviously, risk, that's a, a key area as well. Not just how we handle risk pre-market as part of the clearance or the approval process, but post-market, how do we get that information? It's directly related to the next key section, post-market surveillance. You know, So how do we get the information that we're collecting via post-market surveillance and via complaints and customer feedback and all those different things uh, and incorporate them into our uh, risk management plan? And I don't know about you, John, but one of my frustrations I run into with some people with regard to the risk management plan they think that the risk management plan is something that they can put together, and uh, once everybody signs off on it, they stick it in, in their file and they never touch it again. 
And to me, that defeats the whole purpose of having a risk management plan because a risk management plan, like the rest of your quality system, this is supposed to be a living document. This is supposed to be updated continuously as you learn more information and so on. And yeah. I mean, back to the product liability piece, if I can show, and I have a couple of cases that I'm involved with right now where this is exactly the case, that the company didn't know about certain risks associated with their product, even though they were well reported in the public domain and the medical literature and so on, or they did know about those risks, but for whatever reasons, they did not act upon them in terms of modifying the design of the device, modifying the labeling, putting out, uh, you know, dear doctor letters to, you know, make them aware of problems and so on. Once again, I don't mean to be over flip, overly flippant, but it doesn't take a, a JD from Harvard Law to appreciate ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. So risk and PMS are both important sections in the quality management system, even at the very beginning. Before just taking off the last couple of sections, John, anything that you want to add to uh, to what I just said about those sections? Just kind of going back to a comment that you mentioned on the FDA investigator saying all complaints needed to be investigated equally. I think this is an opportunity with maybe within your complaint handling and customer feedback processes that you describe your risk-based approach for those sorts of scenarios. And and that might be, that might be uh, I guess, uh, an asterisk with all of these things. I think you know, risk-based approaches is, is sort of uh, in vogue these days. So incorporating risk throughout all of these different processes is a good idea. But I think it is important to have more of a global risk management, your processes described uh, from that perspective as well. I could not agree more. So just the last couple of sections that I think are important, and this might surprise some people that I put them on my priority list. The next one being document management uh, or document control. This sounds like a terribly boring job. I met somebody once on their business card who their their job title was document control expert or something like that. And I basically said, you know, I'm glad you have your job because that's not a job that I want. But on a more serious note, document management is very important. And I'll give you a, a recent example, John, and I'm sure you have lots of similar examples. I happened to be in a company once kicking the tires of their QMS, and we happened to, to be talking about their document management system. And they were going on, you know, about, oh, we have such a wonderful document management system, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, John, I happened to notice that the rev date that was on the screen from the PowerPoint slide for this particular QMS from this company was different than the rev date of the hard copy that I had in front of me. Well, that to me just totally obliterated not only everything that they said about their document management system, but quite frankly, everything that they told me during that visit. And here's why. Because one of the many things that I've learned in dealing with my attorney friends is that if the opposing counsel can impugn any one aspect of my testimony, in other words, if there's any one thing that I say that's wrong or is inconsistent, then my entire testimony can be thrown away. Similar logic applies here. If they're making this one seemingly trivial mistake, mostly, oh, what's the big deal? You know, even though they told me that they had such a wonderful document management system. But because of this, you know, seemingly simple mistake, what other mistakes, problems, inconsistencies, whatever you want to call them, might they be doing that I don't know about? 
This is something that I tell my companies all the time, John, when they have the FDA come in for an inspection. If everything is going well and, uh, you know, the, everything seems to be kosher and, you know, nothing, no, no smell of rotten fish or anything in the air, then the inspectors, you know, probably going to say, oh, you know, thank you very much for your time and, you know, and you're on your way. On the other hand, once an inspector finds one little trivial thing, like, yeah. for example, the inconsistency in the, in the rev dates within the document control system, that's an opportunity for a good inspector to pounce and oh, to yeah. start digging. And so, uh, again, some people might think that, you know, rev dates would be a trivial thing, but, but it's not. What, what do you think of that example, John? Well, I always describe document management as the foundation of everything that a company does within their business, and especially from a quality management system. That's one thing that it's really hard to do to, quote, get it right and, and to make sure it's effective and efficient and all those sorts of things. And it's the easiest opportunity for a slip up. And to your point, auditors and inspectors, I mean, they find a document rev uh, conflict it's just going to open a box and they're just going to start like every like that like that's they're going to follow that path and if it happens one time they'll keep searching for a second or third or multiple occurrences so you know getting document management right is really really important absolutely and so just two other uh, what I would think are, are important sections to finish up our list of the most important sections when you begin to build a quality management system is training. Now, in the example that I shared with you earlier, where I said I have a company that's a very small company, they can't afford, you know, to, to, to you know, a robust software package. They can't even afford to have a quality manager, you know, or some quality consultant to come in yet. They just want to build themselves. So I said, okay, put together a module on training. And because this is an, uh, you're literally building your QMS right now, John, this is an opportunity, not just to build a quality management system on paper, but, you know, to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. So I suggested to them, why don't you, as part of your implementation of your training, offer a series of training maybe once a month for your employees that will um, explain to them, okay, we're in the process of building a quality management system. And once a week or once a month, we're going to take one module, you know, whether it's complaints or CAPAs or change management or any other things that uh, we've talked about. And we're going to show you what we got so far. And we want you to give us suggestions on what to change, what to improve in order to, to make it better. And, and when I make recommendations like this, John, because this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get companies not just to, you know, have this in a three ring binder, but to live it every day and to use this, you know, as an opportunity to build a stronger QMS. I think that's a very powerful way of using the quality management system to our advantage, not just yeah. as we talked about at the beginning, ticking the boxes and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And by the way, you know, uh, one other thing that I would mention in passing before just mentioning the, the very last section that I think is key, when a small company starts to build their quality management system, and perhaps you might have a different view on this, John, if you do, please share, but I don't think it's necessary to have, to, to, to be able to build out all of these sections completely, you know, in the first, the first pass. I think even if you put just like a page in there on, uh, almost as a placeholder, you know, on training, and even if you were going to go, this is a bit of an extreme case, John, but if you're going to say, well, we don't exactly know how we're going to do training yet, 
But here are some of our initial thoughts. That will be a reminder for us to go back and beef that section up later once we do get a quality consultant, once we do get, you know, green light software or whatever. Because one of the things I want to make sure is that nothing gets forgotten. What do you think of that suggestion, John? I totally agree. Uh, a QMS should be a living entity within an organization. It's not like you're going to do it one time and forget about it. So, you know, some, and some listen. You the spot, John, but do you think it's a problem if even in a mid or a large size company, here's something that drives me nuts. You'll have some quality people put together the quality management system almost in a, um, not unilateral is the right word, but, you know, vacuum. by themselves in, yeah. uh, in a vacuum. Yeah. And then they send it out to the rest of the company and they say, here's our QMS, follow it. I mean, to me, John, that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> I mean, of course, we're laughing, you, but it happens, that that happens all the time. Oh, I've seen it so many times. <laughs> Sorry, folks, if you're, if you're a quality manager or someone who works within the quality organization and is tasked with writing a quality management system, but for a lot of your QMS procedures, you're probably the last person that should finalize the, the QMS procedures. You probably should, at the very least, you need to make sure that the people doing the job have a strong voice in that and that, you know, how they do the, their, their roles and responsibilities and that sort of thing, that, that that's factored into the process. If, if you're throwing it over the wall and saying, now folks follow, this is why quality gets a bad name, Mike, because this is why people outside of quality are like, man, those people do not understand what I do because they just sent this procedure and quote is compliant and it meets the regulations and the requirements, but it does not match up with what we do. And, and this is where that disconnect happens, I think. And if I can apply a psychological metaphor, John, my grandson, who was four and a half, he's a pretty finicky eater. And it's very difficult. It's very challenging to get him to try new things. But one thing that I've, I've learned is if I have him cook something with me, if he's part of the, the, the cooking process, he's more likely to at least try it. Whether he likes it or not, you know, that's a different story, but at least he'll try it. So I apply the same thing here. If somebody, you know, if a quality person puts together a quality management system in isolation and then just sticks it out, you know, for the rest of the company and say, follow this, it's kind of like getting a kid to try something new. It's not easy to do. But if you involve them in the development of the process, call me naive, John, but I think that might make them a little more willing to actually yeah. follow it. And let's be honest, what's the point of having a QMS, even if it ticks all the boxes, if nobody follows? Yeah, totally. So the last section that I would add to my list of, of key sections, especially for small companies, is some section along the lines of supplier quality management. Because we, we both know that in all medical device companies, but especially the small ones, they farm out a lot of stuff. Some of the development, some of the testing, you know, so the, you know, different things. And so we need to have some description in there, protocols, procedures, whatever the heck you want to call them, I don't care, on how we're going to manage those different suppliers, different vendors, and, and so on. So at a high level, John, the areas that I usually recommend companies start with are the preamble, complaint handling, or customer feedback, CAPAs, change management, risk, post-market surveillance, document management, training, and supplier quality management. Obviously, there are other sections that go into a QMS as well, but at least in my experience, John, I think these are some of the most important ones that a company should start with. From your vast quality experience, what would you add or what would you you know, delete from that list? What, what suggestions would you make? 
Well, one area, and maybe it's because I'm a design control nerd, but some process to describe how we do design and development, I think is really important. That's, that's something I would add to the list. As a former R&D engineer, I'm a little embarrassed that <laughs> that wasn't like top on my, uh, but to me, but in my own defense, John, to me, as you and I have talked about many times in the past, that's basic engineering. And quite frankly, if you have, this is going to sound very harsh to some people in our audience, I'm sure, John, in this very politically correct, hypersensitive society and industry that we work in. But if you have, you know, engineers for you know, working in R&D or manufacturing or whatever areas that don't know those things, they probably shouldn't be working for you. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the other thing that I would advise people is, I mean, if you go look at 820 and you look at 1345, this is a short list of requirements with respect to those requirements and, and regulations. So the key thing that I would advise people is, and I think this goes back to almost point number one of, of our conversation today, you got to make this your own. There's nothing that says thou shalt have an individual procedure for clause X and, and then separate procedure for clause Y, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you were able to build this into a, it might be a, ma- a large document, but if you were able to build this into a large document and you can demonstrate through documentation and records that you're following your your processes, then then you can do that. There's no there's no absolute that says your quality management system has to have 48 procedures and 58 forms. There's nothing like that. Uh, the idea is that you're meeting the intent and that you're reducing this to practice. Um, I couldn't agree more, John. And maybe as to wrap this up, one of the things we can post along with this podcast is one of my all-time favorite sections of the FDA's website. It's what I call the preamble to the whole quality system regulation. And we'll post it on, on the website with the podcast, but I'd just like to read two sentences from it. And this is a direct quote from FDA. Because the regulation, medical device regulation, must apply to so many different types of devices, the regulation does not prescribe in detail how a manufacturer must produce a specific device. Rather, the regulation provides the framework that all manufacturers must follow by requiring that manufacturers develop uh, and follow procedures and fill in the details that are appropriate to a given device, end quote. That's directly off of FDA's website, which is just another way of saying, John, I think what you and I are saying, that your quality management system should not be a cookie cutter approach. It should not be just, you know, buy forms off the Internet and print them off and put them into a three ring binder and you're and you're done. In my view, John, and I think you probably agree with me, but anybody that takes that approach, it defeats the whole purpose, the philosophical intent of having a quality management system, it demonstrates nothing more than your ability to tick boxes on a form. But that's not what this is about. Absolutely. Make it your own, right size it, it evolves, revisit these your processes uh, from time to time. Mike, I know there's a whole lot more that we can dive into on the topic of, of quality management system. And I think for today, this is good food for thought for folks that are curious about how to build their quality management system. So we'll dive into some of those other nuances and details and dive into some some additional depth and detail on, on a future episode. But 
folks, you know, Mike is a, a great person to to have in your corner. Uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't want him on the stand against me. Uh, he um, he has a very pragmatic approach to you know medical device, all things medical device. I'll say his his sweet spots are certainly regulatory, but as he shared, getting into and evaluating how a company is documenting their policies, processes, and procedures. And, you know, he has a lot of experience in helping shape this and, and work with you. So I would encourage you to reach out to him, Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences. Of course, Greenlight Guru, we're in your corner as well, or hopefully we are, or I would like you to consider that anyway. So go to www.greenlight.guru. Greenlight has built the only medical device quality management system software solution on the market today. I know some of you listening might be in that, that situation that Mike described where, you know, you're just getting started. We're happy to have a conversation with you. Even if, you know, you're not at a point in time where you're ready to explore Greenlight Guru, you're just getting started. There's some simple tips and, and pointers that we're happy to provide to you to put you on that right path so that, you know, at such time when, when you're ready, you know, we're there. And even if you choose some other option, that's cool too. We just want to make sure you're focused on quality, that this becomes part of your mindset, part of your philosophy as a business. So, like I said, be sure to, to check us out, www.greenlight.guru. As always, thank you for being a, a listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast. You know, we're still the number one podcast in the medical device industry, and that's because of you. Be sure to share and spread this uh, to other friends and colleagues. And uh, as always, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.